Welcome to another episode of Canton Bound, the NFL half of uh, the Campus to Canton podcast here. As always, I'm Colin. And I am Austin. And we we brought it up a little bit last week uh, in the intro, and we wanted to talk about it a little bit here this week. Uh, we're in a, in a freshman auction draft um, for the C2C League that we're in together, uh, one of the C2C Leagues we're in together. And uh, this is always like one of the most interesting drafts uh, just because auctions you always see values uh very widely and i think this year i saw a lot of values differ that i wasn't really expecting um i mean obviously we uh you know anybody who follows on twitter knows you got travion for for a good bit it, it costs you a, a nice little chunk of change there um but so happy so happy <laughs> it's worth it Oh yeah, it was 100 worth it. Like I said, I was willing to spend. Um, I got. I, I can say it now, and I did yeah. say it on Twitter. I was willing to spend up to a grand on him, and we get a grand every year. Now I had some rollover, um, like yeah. anything we have from last year that we don't use rolls over. So I had. I started with like a little over thirteen hundred. I was willing to spend a thousand on him. So I told you what I think of Travion Henderson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was uh, that was more than I was willing to pay on him. I like Travion. I really do, but. It was really funny. Earlier in the week, we were kind of we we were cagey with each other about our you know what we yeah. were going to do in this draft. But you said something about like I think Travion's going to go for a lot. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm willing to spend a grand on him. You're like, oh, I was going to do like 400 <laughs> or 500 over. I was like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was, I'm yeah, I was double that. So yeah, I was probably going to go 500, maybe six, depending on what some of the other values on the board were. But I, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't going that high with him. So I I just didn't bid at any point in time on him because I, I, I will, wasn't worth it. I will I will say, and I would advise anybody that wants to do this kind of league. It is the best way to do one of these leagues, in my opinion. Yes. I really really believe it because it gives just so many more different uh, strategies and things that you can do to kind yeah. of mold your team in the way you want. If you're doing this for the first time, I really would not do what I did um, <laughs> because I re- you have to commit to it. Like there's a point. Yeah where Travion, like I thought I had him one once or twice and then somebody bid me up, you know, rather late in the clock. So at that point, any of the guys that I would have fallen back on, like a Donovan Edwards or an LJ Johnson or somebody like that were all off the board. So once I hit a certain point, there was really no plan B unless I just wanted to have a really shitty draft class, uh, which obviously, you know, I was mostly prepared for, for that. So it didn't, phase me too much but um it, it's not something that i would necessarily recommend <laughs> for most people but it, it extreme it studs and duds yes <laughs> a very extreme studs and duds and it just the the nature of that league and the way my roster is shaping and how i found the last couple of years in that league to go i felt comfortable i, I i'm trying to look running back heavy in that league. yeah so this really just kind of between i now have travion spiller jameer gibbs and uh, Chip Trayanum as like my top four running backs in a twenty-team single copy on college. So, you know yeah. that's that's loaded by that standards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what was the final price then on Travion? I think eight fifteen. I think is what I wanted for. I had the proxy up to like eight seventy or eight eighty at the time, and it just, I mean they, it stopped at eight fifteen, and I was pretty. Happy. Everyone in the chat was like, "Okay, I'm I'm done." Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like you win them, and I I didn't say anything until it was over because yep. I didn't want to poke any bears that might have been. <laughs> Cause there's still yep. a lot of money like hanging out, like in the background there. And there was, there were people that had like double the money I had. So yeah. if somebody really wanted him, they could have just bullied me, but I mean, nobody did. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's another thing too here is there's a lot of money left on the board in this league. Like I was really surprised. There's what there's I think two teams that have about twenty two, twenty three hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for reference, I went in with like uh, just under fifteen hundred, I think. So and and I was like upper middle part. So I was probably I probably had maybe eighth, ninth most, you know, somewhere around there. Um, going into it, but it was fairly middle of the pack. And then the the guys who had the most, like they still haven't spent anything. So I'm not entirely sure what their strategy is. I'm really going to be interested to see that because there were a lot of really good values on the board. Yeah. Um, well, what, what did you win, Colin? Talk. I mean, what was a little bit of your early strategy here uh, going into it? Yeah. Well, I, I so my strategy was. I mean, there were a couple guys that I went in that I was like, I'm getting this guy, um, Shadrick Banks, uh, my guy. Uh, I was definitely getting him. Um, I really wanted Byron Cardwell, and I really wanted Evan Pryor um, because I knew I could get Evan Pryor for cheap. And I did. Evan Pryor went for 76, which is less than a tenth of what Travion went for. So well, he's he's less than tenth of a play the, the player. <laughs> so it checks out. I think we should all ignore the fact that many months ago on the show I said I would take Evan Pryor at cost over Travion. Let's just pretend I never said that. No one go back and listen to the old shows. That would be that'd be good. Um but yeah, so I got I got him at a really nice value. I got Byron Cardwell uh, a really nice value. I got him at one fifteen. Yeah. Um, I got JoJo Earl too for a lot cheaper than I thought. Like just for reference, Jacory Brooks went for three oh one, and I got JoJo Earl for uh, for one seventy. Yeah, so I was really- that, and that's been the best value like of the bigger name guys in my opinion yeah. so far. Yeah, yeah, because um, what Donovan Edwards went for about two eighty. Um, LJ Johnson went for about two eighty. Uh, Ameka Ekbuka went for about 225, 230. Um, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. was also like right around there as well. Yeah, because the news this week with, you know, if we had yeah. done this draft a week earlier, Marvin Harrison would have been half that price, or, you know, yeah. it's right around there. But yeah. Um, and I think that I, I do think a Gia Hall and it, it was a good, really good value. He went for about 150. Um, so. I mean, I'm still, I, I like JoJo Earl like enough more than a Guy Hall that like I'm, I, I like that value that I got there. Uh, but yeah, he was, uh, a Guy Hall was a good value. Um, I got Jackson Dart uh, for 151. That was another big one for me. I was, I was really happy with that one. Yeah. No, I think you nailed a lot of values there. And just to let you guys know, like, because I did, you know, I was committed to Travion Heavy and then I <laughs> had to kind of fill out the rest of, what I wanted to do here. So I've gone Gabe Urban. I got him for just over 60, I believe. And I thought that was a solid price for a guy that's slowly building more hype here as the spring goes on, running with the Nebraska ones. Then I grabbed Dominic Lovett, who's going to Missouri. I like him. He's um, kind of a lankier, you know, like 5'10-ish kind of guy. Um, He played with Tyler Macon in high school. Interesting. And so I if that comes to fruition, like I think it might within the next year or so there will be a connection there. And I, he's just an at, he's the kind of athlete, like obviously Mookie Cooper is going to be there too, but he's the kind of guy that goes to a school that's the size of Missouri and can be the guy there. And like, you know, big fish, little pond or, you know, medium sized fish, little pond or whatever. Um, and then I also grabbed, um, 
Uh, um, Luke Altmeyer for 35. Mm, that and, was a steal. Yes. And I was sweating out getting him. I, you know, I don't, I, I didn't love Luke Altmeyer, the prospect or whatever. I don't think he's in my top 15 or 20 run or uh, yeah. quarterbacks or whatever in this class. But there have been a lot of reports coming out of Ole Miss that he has looked really good in 7v7s and stuff this offseason. And you have to figure, I would assume Matt Coral leaves after this year. Or Corral. I don't know how you say his last name. Yeah, but there's a there's a good there's a good chance. So a lane a quarterback in a lane Kiffin offense, uh, sign me up for that at such a cheap price. I'll gladly just let him sit on the end of my bench for a year, and then um, reap yeah. the rewards the following year. So that's kind of you know the types of bargains I've been filling out the rest of my roster with, and I have five or six guys still on my list that haven't been nominated yet. And now I'm debating if I even want to nominate them or if I wanted to try to squeak them through and and uh, the first a waiver wire run once the whole draft's over and fan tracks is open back up. Yeah, that's where I'm at at this point too. I have I won 11 guys um and I have I have 13 roster spots open. Uh there's probably about three other guys that I'd be willing to cut and I'm probably going to have to cut cuz there are um some guys that I do like that are still on the board uh or that are, haven't been um put up yet. There's one that I'm in in a battle with right now um that i do like uh and i feel like i can say this because that battle is going to be over by the time that this airs um jd coffee the safety from texas he's been getting a lot of hype uh people there really like him a lot too this is idp as well so um i I like him he was a guy that i was targeting going in and then there's a couple other guys defensively that i'm uh, that i'm targeting um there may be one other guy that I'm, i'm interested in offensively but most of the guys that i have left are defensive guys so I'm not going to nominate them. I'm just going to hope that they I can squeak them through. But I'm going to keep an eye on the board if they do go up, and I'll have to pay up for them. That yeah, that's exactly where I am at too. Um, the one the one guy that I want, I'm really surprised has not been nominated yet. I I don't see any way that he goes the entire way through without um, getting nominated. And I'm not going to say his name on here just because uh, I don't want him to get nominated just to spite me. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll have to keep an eye on that, uh, on him, but because I, I think he's going to get nominated for sure. But uh, well, that's, that's a lot of a freshman talk here. Um, yeah, we can move off of the auction. We'll, we'll revisit that again and, on um, Campus Life mm-hmm. uh, later in the week here. But uh, we'll get into to the NFL news here. Um, and the big news of the week here. Um, you know, everybody's everybody saw this one. Everybody, you know, had instant reaction to it, uh, and that's Giovanni Bernard getting cut. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that is Sam Darnold traded to Carolina. Um, so obviously, Carolina's been in the market for a quarterback, and with the Jets, you know, be pretty much locked into taking a quarterback at two overall. Um, you know, everybody's kind of thinking that it's going to be. Um, Zach Wilson, that's kind of where the tea leaves are pointing now. Uh, so Jets decide to move Darnold. Um, Panthers strike, get a good deal there. Um, it was what they get, a sixth rounder this year and a second and fourth rounder in 2022. So I think that's a really good deal for a quarterback who's only 23. Um, you know, he showed some promise, too, in what has been a pretty abysmal offense and a pretty terrible coach. And Adam Gase. So now he goes to the complete opposite. He goes to an offense with a lot of weapons. 
He goes to an offense with Joe Brady, who's one of the up-and-coming offensive minds. So, uh, Austin, what kind of an impact does this have on Darnold for you? Uh, you know, Where are you looking at him for our next rankings update? I feel pretty good about saying that I don't think that Sam Darnold really is ever going to be a top 10 quarterback at this point, or at least not for right. consistent stretches of his career. But I do think that this can salvage his career to the point where he can play for the NFL in a while, for a, several more years and that he would be an intriguing fantasy option, you know, as like a quarterback too. you know, he's that guy that maybe at some point you take him in like the sixth round of startups and you do because you fade quarterback in, in those early rounds and hit running back heavy or you, whatever strategy you're employing. I think he can end up being that guy. Now I'm not necessarily banking on that, but I, I just think, you know, I liked him as a prospect. He's still very young. We tend to write these guys off super young now, but he, I mean, he's 23 years old. He has some time left. I know the advanced stats on him are not great. They, you know, you can compare him to Flacco last year and he did worse than Flacco in most metrics. But I also think part of that is that Flacco is just a veteran and he's savvy and he knows how to navigate a shitty situation better than a Sam Darnold <laughs> who's kind of been shell shocked yeah. into whatever he currently is. Seeing ghosts. His three, yes, his three years in New York. They haven't been particularly positive years, especially as his surroundings go there. So I do think Carolina is a great fresh start for him. There's no pressure for them necessarily to play him right away, although I think he will play sooner rather than later because his contract meshes so well with Teddy's where Teddy has, I think, a um, like a $22 million cap hit or something this year, I think. Uh, but he has an out in his contract after this year, whereas Darnold makes so little, he counts like three mil against the cap and then his goes up the following year if they take that option. So the you know that aspect of it works out really well. They have some guys there. He's familiar with Robbie Anderson. He's in that Joe Burrow sphere of play style. So you have to figure that Joe Brady is going to go back to that playbook a little bit and kind of do some things there that he did with Burrow when he was at LSU. So overall, I do think it's a huge win for pretty much every party involved. And the Jets got a decent price for him, for a team that everybody knew they were trading him. There was no chance they were keeping him. Or, you right. know, the leverage was gone because they're going to take a quarterback here at, at two. We're fairly sure about that. So I, I really do think it works out really well for basically all parties involved. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that was about as good as of a deal that the Jets could have hoped for. Um, you get a second that I don't think Carolina is a team that's going to be a playoff team this year. So you're looking at probably uh, you're looking at a top 50 pick, I think, probably something around there. Um, you know, for next year. So I think that's solid. And then you throw a fourth and a sixth in there too. Um, but I, this is a pretty big impact on Darnold for my dynasty rankings. I'll be honest. Cause the, the QB landscape right after about right after Matt Ryan, which I have Matt Ryan as my QB 20 and looking at this now, I may even bump Matt Ryan above Carson Wentz, um, move him up to 19 and Wentz down to 20. But you know, that, that stretch in the middle there is just kind of a wasteland of guys that are fine but don't have a lot of job security or don't really inspire a lot of confidence for me. Um, you got Jared Goff in that mix. You got Derek Carr. I have Mac Jones in there. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with him in the draft. Uh, you got Tom Brady who, you know, who knows how long he's going to play, you know. And then you got Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones in that group too. And I like Darnold and his pro prospects way better than those guys. 
uh, you know, especially for long term. So Darnold is going to rise fairly significantly for me. I do like this for him a lot. Um, and then you also touched on, you know, Robbie Anderson. You know, Darnold and Robbie Anderson have played together. They played together in New York um, in 2019. You know, Robbie Anderson had a really nice year that year as well. Uh, and then Robbie Anderson finishes the, you know, Carolina's wide receiver one this past year. Um, what was he, wide receiver 22, I think? Um, let me look it up here quick. Yeah, him and Samuel were both right around that range. I don't remember exactly where they he was fell. But... 19. Okay. He was wide receiver 19. Um, and full PPR. Is that what that is? Yeah, full PPR, wide receiver 19. So, you know, he was very effective all year. Um, and, you know, now he gets reunited with Darnold, the guy he's got some familiarity with. So I think that's a really nice boost for him. Um, with does that separate him from DJ Moore for you? Does that separate Robbie from DJ? Yes, Moore? yeah, yes, Robbie. Um, no, I would still much rather have DJ Moore. Okay, um, it's not particularly close. Um, I'm in a startup right now on the NFL side of things. Um, and Robbie went really, really late. I'm trying to look at the board here real quick, like round 12, maybe or 11. Like it was really, really late. Um, where did he go here? Robbie Anderson went round 11. Yeah. The last pick of the 11th round, uh, right around like Denzel Mims, Deami Brown, Darnell Mooney, Tylen Wallace. That's kind of the company he was keeping. Meanwhile, DJ Moore, who was the first receiver I took, for my team in the fifth round went, I think wide receiver 14. Um, so, and that, that doesn't really close that gap at all for me. I, I don't know. Robbie just kind of seems like a flash in the pan kind of guy to me. I mean, I think people said that when he was on the jets though, too, you know, I mean, I want to ship with him on the jets and I think he played for me several games that year. So I yeah. can't, you know, well, and, and last year he had almost 30 more receptions than, than DJ Moore. So even if you, it ain't Teddy time anymore, it's, you know, it's the (laughs) Darnold show. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's already got the rapport there with Darnold. Talent earns targets, man. (laughs) I would, I would say, and I I don't remember exactly what the jets wide receiver core looked like at that time, but I would be willing to bet that DJ Moore is probably better than any other wide receiver that was on that jets roster at the time. Robbie, Without a doubt. I think there was, um, Brashad Perriman, I think was there that year. I think, um, Mm, I think that might. I think that was before Perriman. I could be lying, but I think that no, because Perriman was on the Perriman was on the Bucks this year, wasn't he? Yeah, but hasn't Robbie been in Carolina for two years now? I don't think so. I think this was his first. Maybe you're right. It doesn't matter, regardless. Well, hang on. Let me pull it up. Uh, I have it right here in front of me. Um, yeah, this was his first year in Carolina. Uh, I was thinking it was his second year. Yeah, no, this was his first year there in Carolina. So, yeah, I don't know. I I, I think that moves Robbie up my board a little bit. Just I like that connection. Uh, but with Darnold moving on, and, you know, we kind of assumed that. So does this have any effect at all on Jet Skills players for you at all, or is this just pretty much status quo because you kind of assumed that? I wasn't trying to buy any Jet Skill players this offseason. I'm not a huge believer in Denzel Mims, and even when – they looked like they were a lock for the first overall pick. I wasn't going out to buy Denzel Mims anywhere because people were hoping that he would get a boost with Trevor Lawrence. I love Jamison Crowder as a super cheap late round slash trade, you know, trade a future third kind of guy. If I'm a competing team, I just, he's that kind of guy that always is very consistent year over year. Um, 
their running back situation, I don't really feel good about it. And if they take Zach Wilson, I don't think Zach Wilson is going to be good as a rookie. Like if Zach Wilson is, does end up being a really good NFL quarterback, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that comes in and lights it up right away as, as his first year. So mm, I'm not really sure how good I feel about anybody in New York. No, I'm completely with you there. I, I like Mims. Um, you know, I liked him coming out. I think he his skill set meshes decently with um, Wilson's gunslinger mentality just because, you know, I think uh, he's going to be a better deep threat than um, what Corey Davis would be. You know, he'll stretch the field a little bit more and, you know, maybe Mims can get open deep and, you know, I Zach th- Wilson chucks it 60 I yards think, downfield. I think they're the same player. I think they're very similar. Mims and Davis. Like people were saying, well, Mims is this great athlete. He's going to stretch the field. That's not his game. That wasn't his game in college. No. And for the record, I don't think, you know, he ran a really good 40 and stuff. And I never necessarily thought he was that level of an athlete when I was watching him. That is not his play speed per se. So I, I think there's a lot of overlap there between him and Corey Davis. It's almost like the uh, Devontae Parker uh, Preston Williams thing in Miami where it's kind of, you know, two guys that do the same exact thing and you're figuring out which one's going to, the quarterback's going to like more. Yeah, that's, that's fair too. I just, I don't, I don't, I, I'm with you. I think they're kind of redundant players. So I do think that Mims is going to be more of the field stretcher just because I do think he is faster, uh, a little more athletic than Corey Davis. So I think that's just going to be the role, the role that he gets kind of pigeonholed into a little bit more. Not that that's necessarily his best role. I just think that that's my prediction for what's going to happen with his role. Do you think they could take a guy late to do that so that the other guys don't have to? Yeah. Cause this I mean, is a good year much. to do that. I mean, it's, you know, I, every, everybody's 40 as fast this year. It's stupid, <laughs> but there are a lot of speedster type guys in yeah. this draft that you don't have to spend pre, you know, prime primo capital on to secure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point too. I mean, and their wide receiver depth beyond those top three is not really anything great. So I could definitely see them snagging somebody later, um, and they maybe develop into a you know field stretching type of a role, like on a, in four wide receiver sets. But I think those three guys are pretty locked into three wide receiver sets. So, I mean, yeah, they could draft somebody to fill that role a little bit, but I do think that's just going to be more Mims's role. Um. But uh, we'll move into the next news there, and that is Giovanni Bernard did get cut uh, by the Bengals. Um, Not something that I really saw coming. I don't know if if anybody really did. I hadn't heard any chatter about it. I heard one of their beat guys talking about it weeks ago, just saying that if the Bengals were to want to free up some cap space, not that they necessarily needed to, but he was an easy source of free cap money for them. But I hadn't, you know, heard rumblings that that was actually going to happen. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I didn't see that anywhere. But um, yeah, so there's going to be a new backup in Cincinnati. um, And Joe Mixon now gets freed from the curse of Giovanni Bernard. The, The Bengals just seemed to want to split touches there, I think, more than what they should have. I like Mixon a lot. I liked Mixon a lot coming out. I think these he's capable of being a bell cow back. You know, he's, he's got a little bit of an injury history there, so I understand wanting to temper his workload, but they just seemed to want to give Giovanni Bernard the ball 
any chance that they could get. They just they tried to find excuses to give him the ball. They threw the, him the ball, but Mixon's also a very good receiver. They gave Giovanni Bernard the, the ball at the goal line, and Mixon's also fine at the goal line as well. He's a bigger back. So I think with Giovanni Bernard out of town, I like this for Mixon. Um, I don't know if it necessarily moves him up in my rankings, but I think it solidifies his spot for me. Uh, what does this do for Joe Mixon for you? Nothing. Literally nothing. Because the, while I think we tend to focus on those couple of goal line touches that Gio got last year, Gio was not averaging really that many touches per game. You know, so uh, Mixon played through like the halfway through the indie game or, or two thirds of the way through the indie game and got hurt. So those first six weeks of the year and in those games, Bernard had carry wise one one zero two zero and then eight in the indie game. But like I said, part of that was when Mixon was out and then receiving target wise, he went five, seven, but then three, zero, two. He wasn't really getting that many opportunities and Mixon did turn it on. He he had that enormous (laughs) week against, what was it? Cincinnati or no against Jacksonville. I think he, he torched them. And then, but then he followed those two games up. We were talking before the show here. Like he, people forget a little bit. Things. He only had that one week. He put up uh, about 15 points each of those next two weeks in PPR leagues. I think he was starting to heat up there. And I, you know, I think that would have continued throughout the, the rest of the year. So I don't think this does anything for Joe Mixon at all. Yeah, I will say Joe Mixon is the guy that in our rankings that we're pretty much the most consistent on. Um, uh, yeah. Matt has him at 18. You have him at 18. Felix and I have him at 19 and Alfred has him at 20. So very narrow window there. So I think we all are, we all have a pretty good feel for where Mixon is value wise. And and I think that's right where he goes. You know, I think we always wanted him to be an RB one and I don't, I just don't think that that's going to end up being him. He's going to give you some big RB one weeks like that 47 point week. Maybe he doesn't hit that again, but he's going to give you some really nice weeks but I think he settles in more around that 15 to 18 fantasy point per game uh, range, which is, you know, good for a middle of the pack uh, RB uh, RB2, maybe even high end RB2. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I, he's definitely disappointed me in terms of what I thought he could do in his career. Um, but I mean, he, you know, in PPR in 2019, he put up 230 points on the year. The year before that, he put up 243. Um, the year before that, he did not play every game. I don't believe he missed several. So I uh, only put up 141. But I mean, if, at his current cost, I think he has the potential to be one of like, that team that if you go onto ESPN or Yahoo and you sort by what players on the most amount of championship teams that year, he has the potential to be that guy in 2021, just because I think where his ADP is hit like that is his low range of outcomes. Assuming that he's healthy. I think there, if he stays healthy for the whole year, there's almost zero way that he does not outperform that. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. I think the reason that uh, people have sort of, players have sort of jumped him in the rankings is just kind of age. Everybody gets fat infatuated with all those first year guys in that class last year, that all five of those guys um, are ahead of him for me. Uh, Edwards, Alaire, Oh, six of two. Cause they're throwing Antonio Gibson in. So you got Edwards, Alaire, Gibson, Akers, Dobbins, Taylor Swift. Um, I have all of those guys ahead of, ahead of him. 
again, just kind of more of an age thing. I like Mixon. I really do. But he is, I think he's about 26, I believe, um, 25, 26. And, you know, now you're starting to get into that. That's like right in the prime of a, of a running back's career, which, you know, that's that that's fine. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily knock him for me, but that does help me. It does help sway a little bit, just given their overall situation, um, how he's performed before and how these young running backs are looking as well. You say you think he's 26. Yeah, I was 25, 26, 24. Is he? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That, uh, that. I should have. I, I, I had to look that up. I just yeah. looked it up. Yeah, I, I should have looked that up. I thought he was like 25, 26, because that's how old um, Dalvin Cook is. Uh, yeah, Dalvin Cook is twenty five, going to be twenty six, um, and they came out in the same class. So I just kind of assumed they were right around the same age, and I guess that they're fairly close. But they were both junior declares. So yeah, yeah. Um, but. Is there and now so now that we have a new backup in Cincinnati, uh, is there is there any interest in the backup running back even as a handcuff? I mean, I will I'll um, hold off on commentary on that until I see if they make it through the draft with anybody um, because because a Kenny Gainwell would be moderately intriguing there or mm-hmm. you know a guy like in that mold, um, but it does scare me. I haven't looked at. Um, at, at Mixon's contract to see when the out is, but it it does kind of scare me that they're setting the stage to just purge the backfield. Um, not that I think Mixon would have a hard time finding another job, but I just kind of like him in that offense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I will say the one guy that does intrigue me uh, is Rodney Anderson. He's a guy who has a lot of potential. It's <laughs> over, man. It's over. I had Ronnie Anderson on talent alone as the RB two or the RB three in his class. He's so good in college, but I've given I've given up. I had him stashed on literally every single roster in every single league, and the dream is over. It's done. Yeah, probably. It's he, I just I like his talent. Um, you know. So then you got what Travion Travion Williams, I think, is and Samaje Perrine. I think are the two guys that are still there. I'm um, all aboard the P Ryan train. P Ryan, choo choo. Uh, but is there he anywhere looks, that he looked sorry, good on the stretch last year? P Ryan did. I mean, I'm not going to buy him, but <laughs> if Mason gets hurt, he could do a lot worse. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we've seen Mixon go down with some injuries here and there, so that's why it it, it could potentially be interesting. But you know, I wouldn't pay anything for him if he's on waivers. I'll go pick him up, but that's about it. Uh, but yeah, is there any is there is there anywhere that we like for Gio or does this pretty much spell the end of his career? Gio's career is not dead. You shut <laughs> your mouth. I would love for the Steelers to sign him. Fantasy career. How about that? No, his fantasy career is not over. He's not okay. that old. I think his skill set will age decently if a team so chooses. He just has his pick now. And if I'm him, I wait until the draft's over to sign someone. And then I just find yeah. a spot where I can go and get touches as opposed to getting signed somewhere and then they're drafting somebody over oh, you yeah. or you know, beside you or whatever. Um, I like I I really, really like Gio. I still think he has value. Um, I would love for I like I said, I would love for him to be on the Steelers. I think he would be a great complimentary back 
to whoever we decide, you know, Benny Snell or <laughs> whoever we decide is our, our RB1 next year. So you say um, you say you don't think Gio's that old. How old do you think he is? I just 27? 27? 29. That's young. 29 as of November 22nd. So That's he will be in prime midway years, the year baby. he'll turn 30. Prime years. For Which I didn't realize back. he was that old either. I didn't either. But yeah, no, I, I do think you're right. His skill set does lend itself to aging pretty well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I do think Pittsburgh would be an interesting landing spot. I think there's a couple other spots that he that he could go that, you know, he could be a backup and, and get some touches here and there. Um, you know, they don't really have anybody else in Arizona. Um, I think that would be an interesting spot for him. Um, but. Yeah, I agree with you, though. I th- he should definitely wait out the draft. And I, I'm sure that that's the advice he's getting. Um, you know, I'm sure that's just what he's going to do, especially with it being so close. I'd be surprised if he signed anywhere before the draft. Um, but uh, we'll move here into the draft a little bit. And the, f- the news there is the Falcons are getting calls for the fourth overall pick. Um, now, this is kind of smokescreen season a little bit, so they could just kind of be trying to drum up some interest and just kind of see what they can get. But I actually do legitimately believe they're probably getting some calls for the fourth overall pick. Um, so who do we think is a team that might move up now that Carolina does have Sam Darnold? They were kind of everybody's trade-up uh, team. Not that I thought that the Falcons would trade with the Panthers just because it's in the division. Um, but is there a team that you think you could see trading up 2-4 for a quarterback? Everybody that would have to do it would have to go pretty far. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Because you're still, you're not jumping anybody that obviously is going to take a quarterback, which I think is why they're, if they're trying to drum up interest, it's, they're not going to get what they want because you're already pretty, uh, I don't even want to say pretty. I'm pretty, sh- like I'm, I'm 100% sure that the first three picks are quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Yes. So you're at this point, like that seems like a draft night kind of deal where Maybe, you know, somebody loves Justin Fields and the rumors are true and Justin Fields doesn't go to San Francisco. Now there's a team that loves Justin Fields, a Washington or a Denver or even Detroit. Maybe they just want to take the guy. I don't think that they would do that. I think they're more likely to trade down than up, but who knows? I That's the kind of team where I think now you're more comfortable moving up rather than doing it now. And then womp womp Justin Fields goes number three and you're stuck with Mac Jones who isn't good or Trey Lance who I like a lot, but he's very much a project. And I don't know if he makes that much sense for Washington who is kind of, they're not win now, but they have a roster that can compete with teams right now, you know, not contend, but compete. Yeah, no, I, I understand the, uh, the Washington angle there. I don't think that they're going to give up assets to go up to get a quarterback because of that. I think that they would be more fine riding with Fitzpatrick, maybe bringing in somebody else after that. I just run Rivera and um, is Marty Herney, the GM there? No, no, no. It's um, Jason. Uh, yes. I don't Jason know something. He was a former, he was a former player. Um, let me look it up here. Uh, but no, I, th- I do. I don't think they're, Oh, it's, it's Martin Mayhew. Um, that's why I was thinking Marty Herney. Uh, but Mar- um, Marty Herney is on the staff. He's the senior vice president of player personnel. 
So I thought he was still there from his days in uh, in Carolina. I thought he reunited with uh, with Rivera, but I don't see them trading up for a quarterback. So that really limits the Falcons' options. Um, and then I, I do think you're right. It is probably more likely to be a draft day trade if it happens at all. So now my question is, am I going to have to run my head through the drywall where the Falcons pass on Justin Fields at four? Even better, they're going to pass on Justin Fields for Kyle Pitts. I I might. So we are, uh, you know, for anybody who who's listening hasn't seen it on Twitter, we are going to do a uh, a live show for the draft. Um, if you want to see me cry, if you want to see a grown man cry, um, you know, watch the show because if if they do pass on Fields for Pitts, uh, I'll have to uh, I'll have to break out the Kleenex and. Maybe a, bo- maybe a bottle of red wine. I'm not even a red wine drinker, although I am drinking a little bit tonight because that's all we have in the house alcohol-wise. But yeah, I'll break out, problem. break out the red wine and, and, and the tissues. No but, no response to me saying no problem. It's the no. only alcohol we had in the house. <laughs> it's rubbing we a, alcohol. <laughs> we had a uh, – it's a Friday night, man. You have a little glass of, a glass of wine or a beer on a Friday night. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm You're drinking, drinking a beer. Yeah. We just didn't have any. We have a one watermelon white claw, and I hate the watermelon flavor. So that's going to sit in there for a while. I've never had a white claw, proudly. I never will. What about a truly? Never had it. Are you going to ever have a, sel- uh, a seltzer? No. All right. Well, another quick little plug here. We're, we are going to be going to the Fantasy Expo, the Midwest Fantasy Expo in, uh, in Canton, Ohio. Uh, and if you want to see Austin drink a white claw, uh, come to the event because I'm going to buy him several white claws and I'm going to give them away. So if you want to come hang out with us, you're going to get free white claws all day from (laughs) Colin. I don't like seltzer. Like I don't want seltzer. I am a beer guy. Fair enough. I will be Uh, really drunk though. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's probably a given too. But, uh, they they said, they said something we had, we had Bob Long on Debbie debate the other night. Yes. And uh, he said something about cigars, so I was in. So if anyone wants to smoke a cigar with me, then you know that, that sounds great. I, I, well, pro- I don't know if there's like a, a lounge there or like a place to get cigars there. From you know, bring your own. I got a nice little travel humidor, you know. So I can. I'm sure. I'm sure they have cigars there somewhere. Uh, it's 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 the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They have cigars somewhere around there. Um, but right, we'll move into the last news note here. Uh, the Bears are discussing trading Anthony Miller. They're open to talks. Um, Anthony Miller is a guy that I liked coming out of college. Um, you know, he had some injury questions coming out, but I liked his skill set. And he just really hasn't been able to put it together on the field much. Now, granted, A-Rob was there um, the past two years, so... He did, you know, he did have some pretty hefty competition there. He was never really going to be the wide receiver one. I don't really think that's necessarily his role, but I do think he could be a nice wide receiver two on the right team. And he didn't really have a quarterback to throw him the ball that could support two fantasy wide receivers. So it wasn't really an option for him there, I don't think. Um, but I, I do I do like Anthony Miller. Um, is there anywhere that we would like for Miller? No, I think he's a better third guy than a second guy. Like I don't even I don't even really like him as a second guy anywhere. I just don't think that's in his 
wheelhouse. Um, I mean, I guess I still like him. I'm apparently in the highest of all of us. I just looked it up real quick. I have him as my wide receiver 78, but at some point, you know, in these rankings, like the number just becomes <laughs> irrelevant. It's like, whatever, you know, it's a, it's a jumbled mess. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I, he has the the skills and the athletic ability. He's had some injuries. He had that big shoulder injury where he was like wearing that harness or whatever and yeah. couldn't really move his arm or whatever. I think those te- those things are probably scary for teams. Um, so, no, there's no place that I would love to see him go. If there's a team that has a decent offense and they have their slot open, then th- that that's where I'd like him to go. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, they're never going to trade him to Green Bay. He'd be he'd fit okay <laughs> in Green Bay because they just don't have that guy on their roster. Um that that's the first name that comes to mind anytime someone says that someone needs a slot receiver. I think he would do okay in Arizona, but they also, you know, I think I almost think Kirk has to play the slot. Yeah. So, and they play, you know, four wide a lot. I don't, I don't know exactly what that would look like in terms of those two coexisting. Well, I mean, they're with, when they go four wide, you, you, you kind of have two slot guys, you have two inside guys there and they have AJ green and um, Deandre Hopkins on the outside. So, I do, do they work the same areas of the field though? Is mostly what I'm concerned about. You know, like is That's there fair. is there something that they, one of them does that the other one really doesn't? I'm not so sure. I don't know. That's fair. I, I don't know what the the Chiefs would give up draft capital wise, but mm-hmm. I think Chiefs the Chiefs could use a nice over the middle um, type of a guy, especially because Tyreek Hill does so many different things. Um, so they could use a slot type option there potentially, but. Yeah, I mean, it'll depend on where he goes. Um, you know, he may bump up a couple spots, but I, I, I like him. If he if he ends up being a wide receiver two on a team, you know, I'll be definitely intrigued. But by that point, if he does end up being a wide receiver two somewhere, he's going to be priced out of my range. So probably won't be. I probably won't end up with too many shares of him. But somebody that I do actually like, and somebody that I do think this would impact, is Darnell Mooney. Um, Darnell Mooney is a guy that he's kind of become fairly popular he was he kind of had a stretch there where he was fairly popular as a sleeper in the dynasty community there people were you saw a lot of people touting him um and you know i mean for good reason you know he he had a a sub 19 year old breakout age which was 93rd percentile uh he ran a 438 at the combine so he's got the speed um you know he so he's got he's got some of the uh the metrics there that you look for he earned 76% of the snaps this year. And like I said, you know, he earned those Anthony Miller was there. Uh, you know, he jumped him on the depth chart. Um, you know, so he, he had a really nice year this year, a rookie year by all metrics there. Um, 61 catches 631 yards, uh, four touchdowns. So pretty solid rookie year there. I think he's a really nice compliment to Allen Robinson. So if they do move Anthony Miller, you know, I think that really opens up, more opportunity for him. And now they have Andy Dalton in there, who as sad as as it is to say, Andy Dalton's the best quarterback that uh, Allen Robbins has ever played with in his career. So, you know, I think Andy, Andy Dalton's the type of guy who even at this point in his career could still support, um, still support two wide receivers. He supported a couple guys last year on Dallas. Obviously nobody was at the torrid pace that they were through the first five games, but um They he still did okay with some of those guys. He just could, he couldn't support three of them, right? Uh, if I remember correctly, but I think Cooper and um, uh, was it was it Lamb that did well with him, or was it Gallup? I don't remember. One of the, one of them still had a decent year. Uh, I mean, Gallup or um, Lamb still had a decent year, but I believe Gallup was the one who had a better year with Dalton. 
That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those two can work really well together. Uh, I don't think Anthony Miller infringes that much on Darnell Mooney anyway. I think at this point, the hierarchy there is pretty clear. Personally, that's just what my my gut feeling is this offseason. And Mooney is another guy that I'm not even the world's biggest Mooney fan. I like him. I think he's a solid player. You know, I don't his ceiling is like mid tier wide receiver three. I, like I don't think he's a guy that I'm scrambling to buy anywhere, but he's another guy that I think at the end of the year you are looking through and he's on a decently high percentage of teams that, that do well. If mm-hmm. Chicago's offense can click a little bit more than they have in the past with the new quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And, but like I said, I mean, Andy Dalton, you know, he can support some wide receiver twos. Um, you know, he had a nice year there in Cincy where he had uh, AJ green and Marvin Jones. Um, not that Darnell Mooney and Marvin Jones are, comparable really as far as receivers skill sets goes but just pointing out that they could he could support two wide receivers and i think you're right i think mooney is pretty clearly entrenched as a wide receiver too but you know if with anthony miller gone i don't really there's not really a third guy on there that's going to command any semblance of reasonable targets so here's why i'm very hesitant this year to pray away um wide receiver depth on teams because this wide receiver class in the draft is so deep that I think if you're hoping that somebody moves on before the draft, then you're basically guaranteeing that somebody comes in in the first couple of rounds and competes for touches that way. And I would rather have the known of Anthony Miller than the unknown of whoever they might bring in there. Because if you bring in, say, a Terrace Marshall or a guy that profiles more as an alpha or a Seth Williams, I think that really hurts his value perceived or otherwise. No, that is a really good point. Um, I think if they do trade Miller... I think that that kind of signals that they're going to take a wide receiver in the draft yeah. here. And they, you know, like I said, there, there wasn't really a third option there uh, behind him. So they would need somebody and they may even end up taking a wide receiver there to replace, to, to fill in anyway, even if they don't trade Miller, I think this could signal their interest in a wide receiver to pair with Allen Robinson. So, you know, I, I'm with you there. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think I would go out and acquire Darnell Mooney. Now, Darnell Mooney was in my free agents preview, uh, that article that I wrote as somebody that I was targeting uh, back before free agency had started. Uh, but that was also with the assumption that I thought Allen Robinson was going to go somewhere else. Um, so I thought that he was going to be entrenched as a wide receiver too, because if Allen Robinson did go, then I thought they would draft somebody and Darnell Mooney would still be the wide receiver too there. Now... And- <clears throat> I'll go ahead. Sorry. I was just say now they, they may draft somebody and they kept Allen Robinson. Just for context, I, like I said, I'm in this startup right now and I took Darnell Mooney in the 12th round and um, I actually traded back. I traded back a couple spots. Um, I picked up, so I, I had picked 12 two, and I had voiced that I was interested in taking Denzel Mims. Um, somebody, um, said that they also wanted Denzel Mims and they would trade up two spots to take him instead. I had a bunch of other guys I wanted. I didn't really give a crap. So he gave me his 17th round college pick. I was like, just give me like some <laughs> middle round college pick. Man. Like I really don't care. And people in the chat were like, oh, that's all it's taking to move up right now. And I was like, I'm moving two spots. Like you people are taking this way too seriously. <laughs> so was that, uh, was that PJ? It was PJ. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember you guys talking about that one in the, in the chat, in our discord, um, you know, subtle plug there. If you, if you are a subscriber to the, to the site, you know, definitely get in the discord. We don't have everybody who's a subscriber in the discord. 
Uh, it's a great community. We're always bouncing trades off each other. Um, you know, prospect evals, random nerd talk, um, you know, just random things in there too. It's just a great, great community of guys and girls to talk to in there. Um, but yeah, I remember you guys talking about that in the, in the discord there. It, I, this league has been really interesting and, and fun and I like all the people in here. Um, so don't think this is me calling anybody out or anything like that, you know, but it, they're getting a little too worked up about some of this stuff. And I'm like, it's fantasy football, man. Like at the end of the day, I don't take any of this stuff that seriously. Um, I, I like to have fun. I accept, you know, reasonable trade offers, especially in a startup. I don't really know what to say beyond that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll move on here into the, into the meat of the show, which, you know, 48 minutes in, um, you know, but the, the meat of the show here, we did update our, uh, rankings. Um, you know, we are going to do monthly updates during the off season. Um, you know, and then bi-weekly we're planning on that during the season. Um, but you know, with it, with the new updates here, there are some, some guys that we have a little bit different of different opinions on here. Uh, so we'll start at the quarterback position. Um, we'll start with the, most divisive one and that would be Tua. Um, I have Tua as my QB 11. I still believe in Tua. Um, you know, I still, I'm still trusting a lot of the, what I saw early on, um, you know, in the process is his, uh, you know, throughout the draft process. And then at the beginning of his, or at the end, toward, you know, at the end of his junior year there and sophomore year in college, but you have him at 22nd. Um, so what what's making you a little bit more hesitant there on Tua? His hip scares the crap out of me, and not necessarily from a physical standpoint. Some sometimes guys just can't get over the mental hurdle. And I am obviously giving Tua another year before I just am totally writing him off. Um, but he looked mentally like he was not prepared, and that scares me a little bit. Because we've seen quarterbacks, as soon as the mental side of thing goes, it's kind of a free fall for them. I don't think that there's that much separating a bunch of these guys for me. You know, I have like this five-player tier here where it's Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Trey Lance, Tua. So six players, I think. And I think you could really interchange those guys most ways, and I I would mostly be okay with it. So I, um, I, I... 11 is way too high for me because I would never take him over. Like I still think Aaron Rodgers has a couple years left. And I have a really hard time taking two over him when I'm looking at a three-year window here. I still like Matt Stafford so much in LA. Um, and then, I mean, Tannehill, Mayfield, like those are the guys I have right around 11 in my rankings. And I just, I can't in good conscience put Tua over any of those guys. No, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. Um, you know, but I and I have those guys right there too. I have Tua at eleven, Herbert at twelve, uh, Tannehill thirteen, Zach Wilson fourteen, Baker fifteen, Rogers sixteen, Stafford seventeen. So, you know, that's pretty much right. Or we're we're pretty close on on pretty much all of those guys, with the exception of Tua. Uh, but like I said, I and I said it before, I'm notoriously slow to move at the quarterback position off of my initial evals. Uh, for better or for worse. And I just, I really liked, you know, Tua was regarded as a top tier, almost can't miss 
type of a prospect after his sophomore year, um, you know, and then through pretty much his entire junior year as well. Uh, and then he got injured. And that is a pretty scary injury for sure, that hip injury. But I think something that we, a lot of us are forgetting it, with Tua is that everybody pretty much expected him to redshirt this year. You know, the expectation going into the year was that it was going to be Fitzpatrick all year and that Tua was just going to sit and rehab from that injury, you know, and just, you know, get back to full health, get back to the confidence that he had before. And I think if they had done that, I don't think you would have seen Tua's value drop really much at all. You know, I think we would have still left with that same perception, but he was ahead of schedule. And for whatever reason, the Dolphins decided to throw him in and then yo-yo him at quarterback. They throw him in, and then they pull him out, and they put Fitzpatrick back in, and then they put Tua back in, and then they go back with Fitzpatrick. They were just all over the place you know, with who they were starting. So I think they mismanaged that situation, first and foremost. But Does, does, I, that, not, does that risk not scare you quite a bit? That they'll will, continue to mismanage? I will say that's my – that – and the hip and him overcoming the mental hurdle of that are my two biggest concerns. So the Dolphins organization and the way they handled that is a big con- is a concern for sure. And not even so much the hip injury itself, because I think that that's going to heal. I think that that's fine. I don't think he would have played if it wasn't. But you did see him not playing with the same confidence, the same mobility that he did before. And I think that is where hit you know why his play suffered you know he just he didn't look the same you know and it takes a while to bounce back from from an injury like that you know especially from the mental side of it and to get that confidence back and then with a yo-yoing a quarterback that may have done some damage to his confidence as well but i think from everything that i heard pre-draft um, you know from things that nick saban has said tua is a confident guy tua is a leader and you know there were some conflicting reports about, you know, some guys in the locker room and, and what they thought about Tua, which really surprised me. But I, I still believe all of that stuff pre, from pre-draft, and I still do believe Saban. I, Saban's not the type of guy to unnecessarily talk somebody up. Um, you know, if he doesn't have something nice to say about one of his players, he usually just says they're a good player and moves on. But he did really talk up Tua. So I'm not as worried about that the dolphins mismanaging the situation and you know that is a little bit of a concern uh but you got to think that with the capital that they invested in him and now Tan- or uh, Fitzpatrick gone it's to his show so i think going into the offseason being the guy is going to help i think it's going to help him win over the locker room and i don't think they're going to mismanage that situation again because i don't think he's hurt anymore i think it's just more of a confidence and, and a mental issue no, that's fair. I don't really have anything else to say about, uh, you know, in response to that, because I think, you know, what I said first and then you said after just th- that paints the whole picture of Tua and the two side, you know, if you're standing there and you have the angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other. And that's <laughs> that's kind of how they'd go back and forth about Tua while you're sitting there like sweating, trying to draft or something. Yeah, no. I, and, and I think, um, you know, with with the rankings updates we did, I did focus a lot more on the college side as well. Not that I neglected the the pro side because I did move Deshaun Watson down with all of that news and everything. But, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I'm notoriously slow to move off of Tua. I could be wrong. Definitely could be wrong. But, 
I, I, I'm going to stick with Tua where he's at. I'm going to stick with my eval, and then I'll reassess, you know, eventually towards the year. And I'll be the first person to say hand up if I was wrong. You know, I'm, I, I like to think I call out a lot of my misses. But, uh, but conversely, the other guy that we have um, with a, not a huge gap, but a, a bit of definitely a bit of a gap there. And it's definitely a guy that I'm lower on than consensus, a good bit lower on than consensus. And it just goes back to me being slow to move off of evals at quarterbacks. But that is Justin Herbert, where you have him at QB seven. I have him as my QB 12 and he finished last year. Um, we finished last year right in the middle at QB nine. So with Herbert at seven, um, you do have him ahead of Trevor Lawrence. You have him ahead of Russell Wilson, who I know is somebody that you like a lot. So what are you seeing with Herbert that puts you up at seven? So first off, I just want to say that I would not be shocked if Justin Herbert comes out this year and falls flat on his face this throughout the year. That would not surprise me at all. And it's why I don't have him higher because I see some people have him at like three or four, five, that range. And, I'm not comfortable at all doing that. Um, I have him above Russ just because that offense showed that they want to pass last year. And by that offense, I mean the Chargers offense showed they want to pass last year. And they're committed to committing to, they're committed to committing to the pass. They really, really are, I think. And so that um, Herbert's just going to get more volume. So I think the nature of that just bumps him above Russ a little bit for me. And it would not shock me at all if I have Trevor Lawrence above him next year. Uh, but I just haven't seen Justin, or, uh, sorry, Trevor Lawrence throw a uh, NFL football on a professional football field. So, you know, if we get a couple games into the year and Trevor Lawrence looks really good, then honestly, I think Trevor Lawrence is a is a uh, not is a better player than Justin Herbert is. So that would that would shift would happen uh, pretty automatically for me, and that would bump Herbert down a few spots. But like I said, I would not be shocked if he comes out this year and kind of is not very good. And I'm not saying he can't rebound, but just that, that would not shock me at all. I think that's more likely to be honest with you. I, I, and I wasn't as high on Herbert coming out. Um, you know, I thought there were definitely some flaws in his game. You know, he has a big arm. He's got a lot of tools, but you know, his decision-making wasn't always the best. Um, you know, his accuracy would struggle at times, but uh, I will give a little bit of pushback on you think that they're committed to passing with him. Um, you know, they just completely overhauled their coaching staff. Um, so I don't know if we can say that they're committed to passing. Um, you know, they, they bring in a defensive minded head coach. So, but he did come from the Rams. So I'm not saying that he's going to be, you know, Pete Carroll grounded pound the ball here. Um, so I, I understand having him uh, ahead of Russell Wilson there. But, um, one thing I will say with Justin Herbert, yeah, he was fourth in the league in pass attempts last year, 595 times. Um, the only people who threw more were Matt Ryan, who had a non-existent running game, Tom Brady, um, and Ben Roethlisberger. So those were the only people that threw the ball more than him. And he also had five rushing touchdowns, which he's definitely mobile. He's got some mobility there. I don't know if I see five rushing touchdowns in his annual outcomes i think it's it's possible for sure i think it's more you know three rushing touchdowns a year i think it's a little bit more likely maybe he hits four 
you know, maybe he lucks into another year where he goes up and has six or seven, but I think he's going to settle right in around like three or four average for the year. So I, I don't, I think the rushing touchdowns are going to come down a little bit it's because he only had 234 rush yards, um, which is decent for sure, you know, but it's not any, it's not a, you know, for, for reference, um, Teddy Bridgewater had 279 rush attempt or rushing yards. So, you know, he's right around that range. You know, he's not, he wasn't a dual threat by any means. Yeah, you know, he wasn't a Konami code QB. So I think with with that, I, I think the rushing touchdowns come down a little bit. I think the pass volume comes down a little bit. So I think that he is being a little bit overvalued. And I do think there's a good possibility that he comes out and underperforms. And you're going to have people do kind of like a little bit of a 180 on him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that wouldn't shock me. I just... I look at the other guys that are around him, though. Like I said, you know, Trevor Lawrence, like you said, and and Russell Wilson are the two guys below him. And, and for the reasons I said, I I don't think you can put them above Herbert. Then I have Fields right below at ten, and then then I have Joe Burrow, who's coming off a catastrophic knee injury for a team that it sounds like is not committed at all to protecting him. I can't, in good conscience, put him above. You still have two above, and like I said, I can't put it. I can't put two of that high for obvious reasons. And then, but then you said, yeah, Baker Mayfield, who doesn't have that upside in his no. bag. He just doesn't. It's not there. And neither does Tannehill. You know, the only guy after him that has that kind of upside, but he's older that I have in my top 15 is Stafford. And I do think Stafford in that Rams offense is going to absolutely crush this year. And maybe I just don't. So, first off, I follow zero redraft stuff like at all. Yeah, um, any sort of social media because I don't play any redraft. I play one redraft league. That that advice is just not useful to me, <laughs> so I don't follow it. That's just the nature of what my my fantasy experience here at this point in my life. So maybe people are talking about, but I don't see anybody talking about how Matt Stafford has the potential to be the number one quarterback in fantasy next year, or pretty oh. darn close to it. I think he does. I think he's going to throw the ball a ton of times in a Rams offense. With a with two really good wide receivers and a pretty you know, and Cam Akers there at running back. That system, that everything about that situation screams top five fantasy quarterback for 2021. So I can't like I that's the only guy but that behind Herbert though that I think has that upside. And Herbert has more rushing upside than he does because he doesn't have much rushing upside stuff at this point. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's the only way I'll give a little bit of pushback on that. It's Stafford having that kind of upside is just the rushing factor. I mean, when you have Lamar Jackson, who was the QB ten last year, with his rushing upside, it's hard to keep. You know, say he doesn't have QB one overall upside after what we saw the year before that. You know, then you're looking at Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, um, Patrick Mahomes. You know, even Aaron Rodgers has kind of slowed down on the rushing on his end. Uh, but then you're looking at Russell Wilson, you know, they, those guys have a lot more rushing upside. So I do like Stafford. I really do. And I, I think he could, he is a, he's a value. I, I don't follow redraft very much either. I only play in a one redraft league. Um, I play in two, probably going to drop the second one. Um, but I have one redraft league that I've had with my high school friends since I was in 10th grade. So yeah, it's a long, long standing league. I'm not going to lose that one. But I, I'm with you. I don't really follow much redraft, so I don't know if people are talking Stafford up. Uh, I do like Stafford a lot, but you know, I, I would still take Stafford, or I would still take Herbert over him. I mean, I would too. The, the thing is, Goff, I mean, Goff finishes QB six. 
in 2018. And I think Matt Stafford is a far superior player. Yeah. So, and there's no Deshaun Watson this year. I'm saying now. <laughs> there's no Deshaun Watson this year. So there's one spot above him that's completely open. Um, and I think Burrow's probably, like I said, going to struggle this year. Um, well, yeah, and I, I think Burrow, I don't think Burrow will be ready to start the year just because of how late he tore that. And yeah, I I don't know what that franchise is doing, man. I feel so bad for Joe Burrow, but at the same time, I, I the Bengals are destined to suck and I don't like them and I hope they suck for forever. <laughs> um, that fan base got real bad for like that two years there when they saw a little bit of, of um, you know, success. That was not... That that's not the Browns handled it last year a lot better, and they've been kicked down while they're down a lot more. <laughs> than The Bengals have, not that either have been particularly good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they don't take Sewell. At you know, I think that taking Sewell would be the the smart choice. Um, whether they do or not, I don't know. They, there's all that chase rumors and everything, so we'll see. But you know. I, I'm still hopeful that they can take Sewell. If they don't, you know, maybe I'll reassess. But I still do like Burrow. Um, I, again, I, I trust my my eval coming out where I had uh, Burrow, Tua, and Herbert in that order. And they are still in that order for me. They are 10, 11, and 12. Uh, but we'll, uh, you know, this is this is going to be something that we'll, we'll keep diving into a little bit here into, into some of the rankings after the update. Um you know, we we do want to get in the uh, rookie profiles here. Uh, so uh, I'll kick it over to you first there, Austin. Um, you know, who's the rookie that you wanted to talk about here tonight? I picked, um, you know, last week I picked ETN because there was a lot of talk late last week just about ETN and kind of what's going on with him. And this week has seemed like it's been Terrace Marshall week on Twitter. So I wanted to dive into Terrace Marshall um, and just go over what I think of him a little bit. So I guess you have to start with the fact that he was a former five-star kid, you know, went to LSU, flipped there late, if I remember correctly, um, and did not play that much his freshman year. There were a lot of other guys there. He played in nine games, but he only had 12 catches. 192 yards and they used him in kind of a limited, a little more of a field stretcher ish role, uh, a little gimmicky, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 2019, like all the other LSU receivers saw a huge bump in production, 46 catches, 671 yards, 13 touchdowns. And then um, this past year before opting out in seven games, he put up 48, 731 and 10. Um, beyond just the statistics and, and all of those things, you know, he had his pro day last week, I believe was theirs. And he measured six, three, two Oh five ran a four, four 40. He's 21 years old. So he fits on a lot of those type of metrics. And if you just look at his profile on a piece of paper, you say that is a potential alpha guy just waiting to explode at the next level. And I don't necessarily disagree with that at some level. I think, you know, of all of the wide receivers in this draft, if you just took their profile on a piece of paper, if you had never watched any of these guys play football ever, you would probably point to Terrace Marshall and say, that guy is probably the number one wide receiver in the class. He's big, he's fast, he was productive in college. He has all these things kind of going for him. I think that guy is probably the number one. 
And then you kind of find out once, you know, you unearth a little bit that that is really not the case. And there are a lot of reasons why his route running needs a lot of work. In my opinion, he, now he is versatile. He lined up all over the place at LSU. And I think he could do that in the NFL, but I think he's going to be more of a boundary guy. I don't anticipate a lot of teams using him in the slot, at least not consistently. There is not a lot of evidence of him beating press. So I can't give him a grade for that necessarily of the five games. I believe I watched there just weren't a lot of examples of guys trying to press him. And I'm not sure if that's just because, you know, 2019, there were so many other guys on the roster that you were probably more worried about. And then this past year, they did seem to line him up on the slot a little bit more, which a little concerning. He, I don't, the, the, my problem with him in the route running category of when my eye assess him is that I'm not sure what his role is going to be in the NFL. Because I think he can do a little bit of deep threat stuff, but he's not consistent in that regard. And I think it's a little bit of a waste if that's how you're using him. And he can do some, you know, quick hitting like slants and, um, you know, bubble screens, things like that, that just kind of get the ball in his hands quickly, let him run a little bit. But again, that's not a guy like if that's all you're doing, that's not a guy that you really want for fantasy that much. So a lot of those things kind of factor in. I think his best case scenario in the NFL is that an NFL team uses him, how the Steelers used Martavis Bryant for years. I think that would be a great role for him where it's you line him up on the outside. There's some manufactured touch stuff. And then beyond that, you're just trying to get him in space as often as possible. The problem that I really have with him, and I know that kind of sounded like I wasn't that particularly positive (laughs) on him. The real problem I have with him are his hands. His hands are not good. And I conveniently never hear anybody that loves this guy talk about this. There are really, really bad drops on tape. Now, there are also a lot of really good examples of him being really strong at a catch point, you know, contested catch or otherwise. But there, he his hands just get really iffy at times, and it scares the crap out of me in the NFL that, his, that he's going to turn out to be like an MVS. And that is not a guy that, again, I'm spending an early second on in rookie drafts for or a late first. So, you know, beyond those things, you know, like a, a good yak ability. He's a really good athlete. He, he technically, he has a breakout, but again, it's all touchdown stuff. And like, that's not sticky. And I don't really feel that good about that. And so I, I don't necessarily love that part of his profile either. Um, so all of this to say, like I said, I think his best case scenario in the NFL is that a team uses him like Martavis Bryant. I did that, but I don't think he has alpha. He has alpha potential. I don't want to say he doesn't have alpha potential, but I think the more likely scenario is that he goes to an offense and can be a good solid number two in a good offense. I think that's his ceiling. And that is why for me, he is my wide receiver six in this draft, I believe behind, um, uh, Jamar Chase, Rondell Moore, uh, Rashad Bateman, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddle. I think that's who he's behind. And then I have Amon Ross St. Brown right in there. Um, so, but I just can't put him any higher than that, even though, you know, like I said, he has that potential. The likelihood of him hitting that, in my opinion, is just not that high. Yeah, I, I liked Terrace Marshall a lot more before I really dug into his tape. 
because uh, you see the flashy plays, you see the highlights, you see all those touchdown grabs, you see the stats, uh, the dominator, you know, that he had, that he had an absolutely dominant stretch at the beginning of the year, like you mentioned, but now then he opted out. So could he have kept it up? I don't know, potentially, but you know, like you said, when you turn on the tape, it's not a great route runner. His hands are not great either. He's a jump ball guy. And he does that very, very well. I think he's always going to have that type of a role in the NFL. But I'm with you. He has the alpha profile. I do not think he will be an alpha wide receiver. Um, I have him as my wide receiver seven uh, behind Waddle, Chase, Moore, uh, Bateman, Smith, and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. And I have him right there with Elijah Moore. But gun to my head, I don't know. It would, gun to my head landing spot would depend mm-hmm. on that one for me. No, I agree with that. They're very close in my rankings as well. Yeah. Um, but the the guy I'm going to talk about is actually the guy that I have directly ahead of him in my rookie rankings. Uh, and that is Pat Fryermuth, tight end for Penn State. Uh, we, we neglect the tight end on the show a lot. Um, so, you know, I got to give a little love to the tight end here. Plus... It's a little bit of homerism for me. You know, so we're checking a lot of boxes. Uh, but Pat Fryermuth is also a guy that you hear some people buzz about a little bit, but I think we forgot about how good Pat Fryermuth was. Um, he was a four-star prospect, you know, number nine tight end in that class. So he was always fairly highly regarded. Um, he's 6'5", 258. So there's no questions about him being able to, um, you know, play in line. But in addition to playing in line, you know, he can also play pretty much all over the field. Plus in line, the Penn State used him out wide, they used him in the backfield at times. Um, you know, he saw 55% of his snaps this past year in the slot. Now it is a smaller sample size because he only played in four games. Um, but you know, in those four games, he did have 23 catches, 310 yards, and a touchdown which averages out to right under six catches for 80 yards per game um, for a tight end, you know, in a power five offense um, in an offense that had a, um, not a, not a stud wide receiver, but Jahan Dotson is a college wide receiver. One, he's a solid wide receiver. They also had a freshman breakout there uh, with Parker Washington, although that didn't happen until a little bit later after Pat Pyramid went down. Um, but you know, beyond this this year, as a true freshman, you know he had 28, 26 catches, three hundred sixty eight yards, and eight touchdowns. He was the second most in catches and yards on the Penn State team behind KJ Hamler, and he had the most touchdowns. Uh, his true sophomore season, forty three for five hundred and seven and seven touchdowns, uh, second behind everybody in that category, or second in the category there behind Hamler in all of those. Uh, you know, and KJ Hamler. Uh, you know, he was a second round draft pick in the NFL, whether you think he should have been, which I know your thoughts on it um, or not, he still was a second round tight end. So there are a second round wide receiver. So that's still a, you know, something you have to kind of factor in there. And he didn't have a pro day workout this year. You know, he, um, Fryermuth caught some passes at the pro day, but that was really about it. He was still rehabbing from that shoulder injury. He more caught passes there to show that he could do it and that he is, you know, back 
to where you're kind of, he's, he's on track to get back to where he needs to be to start the season. Um, but his biggest, his biggest benefit in, and the thing that's going to translate right away is he's a monster in the red zone. He's a big body guy. He has a basketball background from high school. He was a top player in Massachusetts in, in basketball. Um, you know, he boxes out, uses his body very well. He's a good leaper. Um, he high points the ball very well, solid hands there. So he's going to be a touchdown threat immediately right away. And that is all to say that it was really frustrating for me as a Penn State fan when we would throw uh, goal line fades to the 5'8 KJ Hamler from, and not the 6'5 Pat Firemuth. But I digress there. Um, he, he had a... Um, 66.7% contested catch rate last year. Um, so on all the contested catches that were thrown up, uh, which was 12, uh, you know, he brought in eight of them. So small sample size again, just because of the, you know, the total uh, of, of games that he played this year wasn't, wasn't a lot, but he's a very good contested catch receiver. But beyond that, also a very savvy route runner uh, for a tight end, very precise with his movements. He's very smart. He always works to get open. He finds, um, you know, good soft spots in the zones. He can sit down and wait there. But he's also very good up the seam as well. Um, he can break open a defense. Uh, he's not quite like Mike Gasicki was <laughs> up the seam, another Penn State tight end. But, yeah, still very good. Um, and, and like I said, very strong hands as well. He had five drops his freshman year. But, you know, then he only had um, two and one in the next two years, respectively. So, you know, he, he got a lot better on that front. Um, he's fairly athletic as well. He's not the most agile. He does look a little bit clunky when he tries to decelerate. And he is a little bit more of a one speed type of a guy. Um, you know, but he's, you know, still athletic. He's got, I would, I would have loved to see his 40 time because those Penn State guys just juice up those 40 times. I mean, Jason Owe ran a 4-4-0 as a defensive end. You know, so the Penn State guys always test very, very well. Their strength and conditioning is very good. They they get those guys prepared for the combine. Um, so I would have been interested to see that. I think that would have answered some of the questions about him. Um, I would, but I'm more. It would have been more interested in his agility skills. But either way, I think he's going to be a good pass catching threat at tight end uh, in the NFL. I think all of that was to say he's going to be a very strong pass catcher at tight end. Any other year, he's a tight end one, and I think we feel good about that. Uh, you know, you got Pitts this year, who's obviously, you know, a, a, a top tier tight end prospect. You know, he is he checks off every box you want to see. I, I'm hesitating to use the word generational, um, just because I don't want my D, my mentions to get blown up, good or bad, either way. But you know, people call Pat Fryermuth, they called him Baby Gronk. I don't necessarily see that. I mean, I think that that type of a ceiling is probably a little bit beyond him, but I think he's more of a Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz type guy. I think he's going to be very consistent. I think he's a guy that you're going to feel comfortable starting every week, and he's just going to have a long, steady career. I think he's the easy tight end two in this class. Uh, after seeing, um, you know, Jordan's athletic testing numbers, um, you know, his height and weight also, it was fine. Six, two and a half, 247. Um, you know, the six, two and a half wasn't quite what we wanted to see, 
So I like Jordan, and I think in any other year, he's a very fine tight end too. But I still I have Pat Fryermuth pretty comfortably ahead of him. Um, so I, with the depth of this class, I'm probably looking at him more in like the mid-second, maybe early second and tight end premium. But in any other year, I'm probably looking at him in the back end around one. Um, so, so he's a guy that I have it ranked at 15. Um, so that's, that's kind of assuming tight end premium. I have him ranked 15. Uh, that's just ahead of Terrace Marshall. Like I mentioned just behind, uh, Amon Ra St. Brown, but I could potentially be convinced to take Fryermuth over St. Brown, depending on league settings and team need there. Yeah. I think, um, his career is going to fall anywhere between Hawkinson and Henry. I think that's the the range for him. I really like him. Um, and I, I know that hurts he's, you. He's so much better than Brevin Jordan. <laughs> I don't get I don't get the Brevin Jordan thing at all. I really, really don't. Not that I dislike Brevin Jordan. I just don't think he's in the same class as Pat Fryermuth as a player. I really don't. Well, like I said, I think that we forgot how good Pat Fryermuth was just because he only played four games this year. It was such a weird year. Um, but I think he's going to provide a lot of, uh, a lot of value. And also I'm sure you probably saw this, but Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert met with him at the pro day. We meet with a lot of people, right? But both of them were there. And I know you've said that that's usually a signal that, you know, you're, that they're interested in a guy if they're both there, if they're both meeting with him. And I don't know anybody else on the Penn state roster that they would have been there to see. I don't either. I don't, I don't think we would have been there to look at their edge guys. I think Pat would have been the only guy that we were there to look at if I had to guess. Right. And I mean, you guys have Eric Ebron, but I think his contract's up after this year, if I remember right. Right. Yeah. And Eric Ebron's not the class of player that (laughs) prevents you from taking another guy. Right. Right. So, I I don't I don't dislike the Steelers not as much as like the rest of my family who are Ravens fans. So, you know, if he goes there, uh I would be very happy with that. Yeah, I I mean, I, I he'll, he'll be really good wherever. I I do just hope he goes to a little bit more of a wide open offense and we can see him get some touches. Yeah. Um well, I think that's I think that's going to do it here for tonight. Um just, you know, housekeeping things here. Still looking for review rates and reviews. Um, you know, send those to us. I didn't get any this past week. Did you get any? Yeah, I got one or two. One or two. Okay, so we're probably around maybe a little over thirty. Um, I'll have to we'll have to tally it up. We'll have to count it exactly, but we're in, like at thirty, thirty-two reviews. Um, so if you want that autographed Travis Etn jersey, still time to rate and review the show. Um, you know, do it wherever you you see, check out the podcasts. DM either me at C2C Decker, uh, at Debbie Deeds. You can send it to Austin. You can send it to the Campus to Canton account at uh, Campus to Canton. You can send it to the Gmail account if you're not on Twitter, uh, Campus to Canton at gmail.com. Uh, but we are looking to get uh, do that giveaway um, next Monday, I believe, is what we were saying. Not this coming Monday, the 12th, uh, the Monday after that, the 19th. So still a little bit of time to get that in, uh, but we are going to do that giveaway on the show. Probably do live like we did last time. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, just to, um, you know, Keep just to. Above board. Yes, that is, that is generally the goal with that. Fair enough. 
Um, all right. Well, I think that's uh, that's it from everything that I had housekeeping wise. Anything you wanted to touch on? All I right. love you all. <laughs> uh, just yeah, keep an eye out for the uh, Campus Life Show coming beginning of the week. Here, uh, we do have a couple exciting things going on with that show in in um, I think it's like two weeks or so. If I remember right, uh, we're gonna have a guest on for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so stay tuned for that. But that's gonna do it for me. I'm Colin. I'm Austin. And have a good one.